the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Worldview Media Podcast, where Gordon and Joyce Runyon view popular media through the lens of the biblical five-point covenant model to help believers appreciate and apply principles of exciting narrative and engaging storytelling. And we're coming to you today to talk about three suggestions from our usual host, Gordon Runyon. I'm Joyce Runyon, and normally I don't do the intro, so I'm sure somebody's um, gritting their teeth (laughs) while I'm doing this. I want to welcome you to our show, and uh, what is it you have to say to us today? Well, hello. Uh, yeah, we've got a little bit of a different show. Normally what we do is use the biblical covenant model to analyze worldviews being preached by different media. Yes. And this time I want to, man, I'm already boring you. (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) This time I want to, I have three, uh, tentative recommendations that I want to give and and talk about three things that I've experienced, and uh, I think they have good things to say worldview-wise. Well, I think it's just good to, to kind of mix things up, because um, media is more than just movies yeah. or series, yeah. and so, um, you know, you need to really look at all the venues that um, things are being proclaimed and taught and yeah and uh put out in the world so yeah that's right that's right and so i've got two documentaries that are available on netflix and probably on net on uh, amazon prime but i don't know and then one podcast that i want to recommend at the end so the first documentary that I want to talk about is uh, it's called the resurrection of Jake, the snake Roberts. Hmm. You remember that name from, from way back yeah. in the day? Was it he a WWF guy? <laughs> yeah. Back before it was WWE. <laughs> oh, it's entertainment. Now. <laughs> right. It was a federation when I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. It was real. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're not familiar, uh, if you're if you've had any involvement with being a fan of pro wrestling or something like that, you don't need an introduction. Uh, before I got converted, I was I was a fan of pro wrestling back in the '80s, and uh, you know I was in on WrestleMania one, two, and three, and maybe four and five, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway. One of the stars back then was a a guy named Jake the Snake Roberts, and he was kind of an enigmatic figure in that uh, wrestling went through a phase there where, you know, back in the old days, 70s and stuff, pro wrestlers were just big fat guys a lot of the time. And, yeah. Uh, and then in the late 80s, that started to change, and you had all these meatheads, you know, uh, really jacked up steroid monsters that were super muscular and and here's Jake the snake he's a big tall guy but uh really not terribly muscular <laughs> he still looked mean but he mm. you know he didn't have the 
the build. Yeah, he didn't have the typical wrestler's body. And the other thing that was kind of fun about him is that he was obviously really smart guy and and the classic you know pro wrestling promo that you would do where you have the announcer and the wrestler and and he gets all slobbering and and uh <laughs> and freaking out about his next match uh, and how yeah. he's gonna how he's gonna crush his opponent at the stadium next saturday and uh Jake the Snake didn't do that. When he got on the microphone, he talked very softly, and he never raised his voice. And he was really compelling. There was something about it. It was kind of, was kind of weird. You'd rather listen to him, and and you and you believed him more than you'd believe all these other idiots. And so anyway, toward the end of Jake the Snake's wrestling career, he had some injuries, as pro wrestlers do, mm-hmm. and. Got hooked on things like painkillers and alcohol, and so he was a slave to uh, at least a, a couple of different substances. Mm. And it was a sad story. And and then, and and I guess I'm saying everybody kind of knew that part of the story. But then here several years ago, this is where the documentary picks up. He hooks up again with a guy that was his friend as a wrestler and he was after my time. He got popular after I stopped watching it, but uh, diamond Dallas page was his name. And now diamond Dallas pages story is that he got into pro wrestling when he was an older guy and really messed up his back from, from the wrestling and, you know, it's all fake and it's all scripted, but they really are pounding their yeah. bodies horribly and uh, destroying themselves physically. And so uh, Paige gets to the point where he can barely move, and he he worked his way out of it by kind of modifying yoga, and and he increased his flexibility, got rid of his pain, and really got himself back into shape without drugs and and all of that Hmm. so did he put out a video on that (laughs) yeah (laughs) as someone with back pain i'm just curious (laughs) yeah i did as a matter of fact i've thought about dang maybe we need to get that okay so the story is that then uh dallas page realizes that jake the snake roberts is in this bad way he can barely move and he's Mm. drug addicted and alcoholic I didn't realize he had some physical impairments as well. Oh, yeah. He was in a lot of pain. He could barely move in some in some ways. So Paige gets a hold of of Jake Roberts and invites him to come live with him under the, under the understanding that Paige would kind of be his mentor and he'd be his sensei or whatever. And Roberts had to live by his rules and, mm-hmm. and follow his exercise plan and all of that. And so long story short, he begins slowly this road to recovery using the exercise system that Paige developed. And by the end of the thing, he's moving around really well. He's not in pain. He's not addicted to anything. And and thus the title of the movie, it was, it was like a resurrection from the dead, metaphorically. And so... Yeah. Uh, that's the overall story, but 
of course, along the way, it wasn't all a joyful, easy ride. They, mm. There were some bumps along the way, as you expect, with somebody battling addiction. And and there was kind of falling back and, and threatening to give up and uh, setbacks and stuff like that. And anyway, the reason that I wanted to talk about it from a worldview standpoint is that it's a really powerful documentary just in terms of talking about the power of friendship and, mm. and love and loyalty and commitment. And, yeah. and, uh, it, it's really kind of thrilling to, to see it documented here in these guys that, you know, are famous, but, but to see there really is there. I mean, it sounds cheesy. There just really is power in loving people, you know, and, and yeah, it's a revolutionary sort of exercise program that Dallas Page has come up with and, and it did the trick for Jake Roberts, but it was really Dallas Page's unwavering commitment to see Jake get better and his willingness to, to love him through, uh, setbacks and, uh, you know, backsliding and, and that sort of thing. And so for me, I, I just thought if you're looking for a redemption story or a story with a character arc where the main character actually does find some form of redemption and growth and healing, uh, wow, I really recommend that to you. It would especially probably touch you if, if, uh, if you, like me, were some kind of wrestling fan back in the day. Uh, really neat. The the worldview issue that I have with the movie, and I can't prove it, mm. but it is my suspicion that there was a lot of God talk and talk about faith in Christ. That was that. Was, that <laughs> yeah, that's my suspicion. I think a lot of that was edited out. Uh, I think the guy that was filming the thing had as a kind of a naturalistic atheistic agenda mm -hmm. and and there were just places where the conversation was leading towards spiritual things or or was obviously descending from spiritual things and we never got to hear those and and then toward the end of the show uh Jake Roberts has an adult son that he was estranged from who is now back in his life and the son is actually is obviously a evangelical born again believer mm. and talking openly about the things of Christ and you know they they let him be on camera for like 5 seconds and uh interesting <laughs> yeah and as he's talking about how he's trying to urge his dad toward health and and healing in Christ and and so I, like I say, I don't have proof, but my suspicion is that there's a lot of pretty severe naturalistic bias in the editing that went into it. But, but that said, even with all that being true, like I say, the overall story is just really fantastic and, and really encouraging and uplifting. And where I think that we need to put that into use, especially as, Christian Reconstructionists. I think that it's easy for us because the Christian Reconstruction movement is led by a bunch of brilliant 
men who have gigantic brains and, and lots of learning and, and they do a lot of good work and, and all of that. And I'm very thankful for it, but I think that they're, it's easy to develop kind of a intellectual bias or a, a, an emphasis on theology mm-hmm. as a detached sort of thing. And the big giant head. <laughs> right. Right. And I think it's good to be reminded once in a while that, that you have to get the basics, right? You really do have to, you really have to do, you have to find ways to love people. Yeah. And to be loyal and to be long-suffering with people who well, don't think, get it right away and stuff. I think stuff. part of the problem is that um, there's just a big disconnect in our culture about what is love. Yeah. And a lot of people don't get that love is not necessarily easy. Yeah, right. It's not an easy thing. It's not always something that makes you happy and joyous and you feel good about it all the time. But it's a decision. It's a conscious sure. decision to do the things that you know need to be done if right. you feel like it or not. Right. Yeah, real love happens when you don't feel like you love this person at all, you know, <laughs> and, yeah. you, and you decide to do the loving thing anyway. And and so that's all through this movie. And so I would just recommend it to you as just an uplifting story that, that really does highlight the power of love. You want to take our break? Oh, well, sure. Let's take a break. <laughs> okay, we'll take a break, come back, and talk about another documentary that I liked a lot less. And, <laughs> and why? And, and, well, stay tuned. Okay. And, and a neat podcast that I want to recommend to you as well. So see you after the break. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom. back in studio and thank you for staying with us through that little little bit of a break there uh, our host Gordon Runyon speaking to us today about a couple of documentaries that he's really enjoyed and he wants to recommend to us to to see for various reasons and our first one was about Jake the Snake what is it called exactly the resurrection of Jake the Snake Roberts okay and the second one is I'm thinking about pastors and people who really want to do ministry and mm-hmm. and do evangelism and and things of that nature and uh I didn't really like the movie and there are there are a couple of warnings that I need to give about it. Oh. <laughs> but 
Uh, and speaking of that, I need to go back and say that if you're offended by rough language and, and the way uh, unsaved people actually speak and, and stuff like that, then the resurrection of Jake the Snake Roberts is, is well, probably course. going to be. Yeah, it's just... It's just real and street level, and yeah, and that's just well, the way that is. And I think you kind of kind of expect that with someone who's addicted <laughs> to drugs and alcohol right, and right. whose life is a mess. You know, sure, they're not going to have probably the best language. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and the same thing is true in the movie that I'm going to talk about now. It's another documentary, and I saw it. I saw it being talked about in my Facebook feed. It's called Holy Hell. Hmm. And this movie is a documentary about a cult that seems to have gotten kind of off the ground in the 80s, but has survived even until this day. And it survived based on the charismatic strength of its leader, yeah. a kind of new age guru that they refer to as Andreas through most of the film although there is a place where we find out that he had a real name that was probably something like Jaime Gomez or something like that so <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah that doesn't sound as as super cool as Andreas ah. the single name and so anyway Andreas becomes the leader of a group of basically hippies in, and this starts in, in when? In the 80s, in, the in 80s. California. Okay. Uh, well, maybe in the 70s, late 70s. But it really gets off the ground in the 80s and, and reaches its peak of what it's doing. So anyway, the name of the cult, I think they they went under the nickname of the Buddha Field. And it started off being this thing where Andreas is just recruiting beautiful white young people to hang around him and you know go on nature walks in the forest and frolic in the beach and and stuff like that oh. and it, and it really is that it's beautiful white people you know all the all the women are in bikinis and they look like they're you know they're uh maybe enhanced in ways and stuff like that and and uh all the guys look like they spend half their days in the gym and and they're all in speedos andreas walks around most of the movie in just a speedo and stuff like that oh my <laughs> right okay <laughs> <laughs> and so anyway it started off as this group of disaffected youth who think that what they have found is a connection with kind of a pseudo family where everybody just has dropped all the pretenses and all the falsehood and, and we're just going to hang out together and love each other as brothers and sisters and, and throwing off the shackles of things like establishment religion and, and stuff like that. And then through the course of the documentary, we see that their what their, their religion is, it's mostly Hindu but there's other new age influences, you know, they call themselves the Buddha field. And, and so Buddha and, and stuff like that is mm -hmm. perfectly compatible with what they're doing. And, and, uh, <laughs> so anyway, this Andreas character is, is quite a character. It turns out he's a trained, uh, 
what do you call a male ballerina? Is it still a ballerina? <laughs> ballet dancer? Yeah. Uh, so he's really into ballet. And so one of the rules of his group is you spend the first couple of hours every day in ballet class where, you know, through the rest of the day, he's real fun loving and carefree, but he'll kind of kick your butt in ballet class. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then we find out that the guy, uh, Andreas was a former gay porn performer. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah. So how do we find these things out? How, how does all of his followers know this about no, him? No, they don't. They don't know these old things about him. I mean, they find out about the ballet thing right away, but, uh, I think finally the Buddha field gets on kind of the radar of some cult watch groups and, and they start investigating to see what's going on. You had parents complaining about, you know, my child is in this cult and how do I get her out and stuff oh, like that. Okay. And so they start doing investigating. That's one of the things that I need to warn about is that, uh, the movie was made by a former member of the cult who's a homosexual man, and he uh, so he made some bad editorial choices along the way. Like, after we find out that Andreas was in these pornographic movies, we get about a five-second five second clip of, of one of these movies. All the naughty bits are blacked out and stuff, but it's still, it's very graphic. Yeah. And uh, and there's no doubt about what's going on, the perversion that's taking yeah. place and stuff, and and so that's something to be warned about. And then at the very end of the movie, like I say, throughout the movie, you've got all these beautiful twenty somethings dancing around in skimpy bikinis, and and right at the end, there's a slow motion segment of a of a girl who's just in her bikini bottoms, and she's just kind of jumping up and down happy and and laughing and stuff and why there's this slow motion <laughs> segment of a girl jumping up and down topless uh, didn't really advance the story or anything but that's another thing to be warned about but anyway uh, as the story progresses then we begin to find out there is sexual weirdness still with Andreas. He officially is forbidding anyone in the cult to have any kind of sexual relationships. And what about himself? Well, that's the thing. Then on the down low, on the sly, turns out he's having gay relationships with a lot of these, a lot of these guys. And I mean, he apparently had them scheduled by days of the week. So Monday was this guy's day to go have sex with Andreas and, hmm. and stuff like that. And some of these guys were not, they weren't sodomites to begin yeah. with, you know, uh, Andreas had some kind of weird power over him. The thing, the thing about it is, I don't know if you remember, but several years ago, there was a guy made a splash on TV. I think his name was, Darren Brown, but he was, he kind of seemed to be the, the, uh, the model for the series, the mentalist mm. where you had this guy who was just so good at reading people that it could seem like it was psychic, you mm -hmm. know? And I, and, and I think he called himself a mentalist, but there was nothing 
there was nothing supernatural about it. He just was so good at it that it seemed that way. Yeah. And I think Andreas had some of that going on just, just naturally. He was super good at, at reading people and figuring out what they wanted and what they were after and, and somehow being able to provide that. Well, and I think that's probably one thing I'm wondering, how were they able to just, I mean, how did they survive and where were they at? And Oh yeah. Well, they all had day jobs and then they'd bring their paycheck to the cult and, and they were kind of living in one big house and so kind of a, a commune type kind of, of kind of communal except that you know you didn't uh, it wasn't i guess everybody that was participating in it would say it was voluntary but there was also this undercurrent that if you didn't give all your paycheck then you were kind of you were, yeah right and so there was even a time when they went on a special retreat in the forest where andreas was going to pick a few of them and and provide them with an experience of God where he was going to make sure that they were personally immediately introduced into the presence of God. And so it it in the course of interviewing some of the of the kids that were involved in this, several of them say that they did have a a really strange and undeniable spiritual experience of, you know, uh visions and and freaky things going on inside them sensations of electricity and or whatever other things and and oh. i i think there's a couple of possible explanations for that the the easiest one is just the power of suggestion and yeah. that andreas was a master at setting a setting a scene setting the stage he for was the very show. theatrical uh-huh. And, and so he was, he was very theatrical and he's able to, yeah, set up whatever trappings he needs in order to get the things done that he's wanting to do. And, and it, it just seemed like a warning to me because as you hear these young folks talk about their experience of God, so to speak, uh, it sounds very much like what you would hear from any evangelical who just went to a Christian rock concert or something like that, you know? Uh, it, it it sounded like what you would hear from Christians a lot of the time. Hmm. And I think that's kind of a red flag and a warning that we do need to be careful about focusing on experience and trying to gin up experience, especially. And, and so the other possible explanation that, <laughs> well, there's two more, the other ones that I was thinking about, there are a couple of scenes that are disconnected from that introduction to God scene where it shows these followers just kind of sitting around and Andreas will walk up to them with a piece of fruit and put it in their mouth and they'll just eat this fruit. And if that's going on all the time, it would be the easiest thing in the world to introduce LSD yeah, or, some type or of something like that. Yeah, kind of what I was thinking. And then the other possible explanation is the presence of demonic powers, counterfeiting true spirituality, that sort of thing. And so it was, it was really easy to feel sorry for a lot of these kids. But as you, as you hear what drove them to Andreas and, and how they got there, several of these kids 
got there after having consciously rejected Christ and, mm. and their Christian upbringings and stuff like that. They had come to the conclusion that Christ couldn't possibly be real. The Bible couldn't possibly be true. And Christianity had to be false. And so now they're out just looking for anything. Wow. And, and they found it. Yeah, you know? they did. <laughs> right. So I really think that for pastors and preachers and teachers and stuff that there's a lot of good case study material in that documentary in terms of saying this really is what we're dealing with. And, and there really are people who are in these situations or if they're not in a cult, their mindset is the same as these cultists. And, and how do you approach them? How do you deal with them? Mm -hmm. And the other thing that relates back to the first documentary we talked about, it highlights the power of love. And even after these cult members began to understand and realize that Andreas was a fraud and that he was worse than a fraud, he was, he was using them and yeah. Manipulating. Uh, yeah. Even after they found all that out, they still believed that their group was the genuine article because of the love that they felt for each other. And so for a long time, there were, as people are leaving the group and stuff like that, after these revelations about Andreas are made, there are those who hang around, not because of Andreas, but because they just, they've never been loved. They've never been part of a family before. Mm -hmm. And even if Andreas is a flake, these other people that I live with, they're, they're, they're real. totally sincere and, yeah. and they're looking for the same things I am. And, and it reminded me a little bit of another documentary that I saw years ago that was done in an inner city setting that was mm -hmm. rampant with gangs and stuff. Yeah. I was just thinking about gangs. <laughs> right. So and what were you thinking? Well, I think that what gets so many in it, their kids really involved with gangs is that it's a place where they're accepted. Yeah. It's a place where they, um, they feel like they're special Right. And they're given responsibilities and they have to do things. And, you know, it's just, it's a family. Yeah. And they're given love. Huh? And yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's not something they have at home. Their parents right. aren't there. Their parents are, you know, who knows where their parents are. Right. But it's this group that, um, that provides what they aren't getting at home. Yeah. Right. And I just wonder, as a guy who's been involved in Christian reconstruction for 20 years and, and uh, in meager ways, at least, I think, uh, I just wonder if we're, if we don't sometimes get a little bit too fancy and, and, you know, we've been accused of focusing on a lot of things other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and the answer is, no, the gospel is the beginning of everything that we do. I mean, without the gospel, you don't have any Christian reconstruction. And that's true. Mm -hmm. But in practice, I think the number of of us that are really all about the gospel and all about trying to see people saved and and come to the knowledge of the Savior, I, I wonder how big a proportion that is. And, and I'm not outside the boat criticizing the people that are in the boat. This is my group that I'm talking about. Yeah. And I'm just saying there are Christian reconstructionists and prominent ones who have reputations for being kind of prickly and hard to get along with and bullheaded and, 
Uh, and I don't think those reputations are necessarily earned in, in every case. But I think when you notice that your group has a certain stereotype attached to it, the, the way of wisdom is to act opposite the stereotype Contrary. if you don't like that stereotype. You yeah. know? And, and so I think that it's just a reminder, like the Jake the Snake movie was, that the love that we have in Christ and that the love that is poured out into us and is supposed to move through us by the Holy Spirit, that's a really powerful thing. And, and we're not going to advance the kingdom without without moving in that in that virtue and, and, and seeing God move like that through us. Well, and I think I'd, I'd agree with you on that. And, and the thing with the two documentaries is the difference in what love, real love did and accomplished for Jake. Yeah. And for how it destroyed so many people in the other one. That's right. Yeah. And so, um, and again, our culture really has, a hard time with understanding what love really is. So um, the church really is where we should see that, you know, that Christ is love and how he loves us is by laying down his life and how we need to love others and, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. And we have opportunities all around us to show God's love. And so, you know, we need to be doing that. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, it's it's just a reminder for us all that the first and second great commandments are really about loving and letting Christ's love flow through us. And mm-hmm. so, enough of that. <laughs> <laughs> enough about love. Let's move on to something else. <laughs> yeah, on a on a little bit lighter note, I fully recommend and endorse all the podcasts that come out from the Reconstructionist Radio Network, as we just heard about in our break. And there's more coming out all the time, and, and that's all good stuff, and it's it's worthy of your time and attention to soak that up. However, if you're like me, there come times when you need a little bit of a Sabbath for your brain. And uh, <laughs> and if, you're, if all you're consuming is meat and you never allow yourself a fast carb now and then, you know, yeah. It's uh it's kind of heavy. It's kind of <laughs> heavy. Yeah, that's right. And anyway, I just want to share this very quickly. One of one of my favorite podcasts and I'd recommend it is it's called the it's called the Seinfeld Post Show Recap and <laughs> and there's a whole network of podcasts called Post Show Recaps where they just go on and talk about TV shows and and movies and stuff and and go through them and and anyway the Seinfeld one of course Seinfeld stopped you A know long time production ago. twenty years ago yeah and now you've got these two guys Rob and Akiva that are watching every episode of Seinfeld and then weekly podcasting about the episode and the reason I want to recommend it is because sometimes it's hard to find clean comedy and uh and as i've been listening to the seinfeld post show recap i've re- i've remembered there was a lot of really kind of sketchy uh, a bit racy pushing the boundaries sort of stuff yeah. in seinfeld but the post show recap 
is cleaner than the original Seinfeld show. Nice. They'll actually kind of stay away and they'll dance kind of gingerly around some of that. And that's part of the comedy of it. And, uh, and they do a real good job of keeping it very family friendly and well, as, as much as you can, as you're talking about Seinfeld, but, uh, it's really funny. It's a good time. And I just, uh, there's even worldview stuff in there as well, though, just to point that out, even in a, even in a thing that's not meant to be terribly serious and, and is meant to be funny and, and they're trying to be comedic and generally succeeding. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is worldview content, you know, uh, one of the hosts is an Orthodox Jew who keeps kosher and, and celebrates the holidays and stuff like that. And it's very interesting at times to hear his Jewishness interact with concepts from Seinfeld and and pointing out Jewish things in Seinfeld and, and stuff like that. And, and, uh, <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So anyway, that's not a big deal. I I just wanted to throw that out. It's it's something that I enjoy. I my job. I get I get many hours a day where I'm just by myself, and one of the things I do to fill that time is listen to podcasts and. And this is the funniest one, the Seinfeld post-show recap. And, and uh, it's pretty easy to find just by searching those terms. But just check it out. See what you think. It's a good time. Nice. You've heard a couple episodes. Yeah, I have. And it is funny. And uh, and they talk about it well enough that you say, oh, yeah, I saw that one. And you're right. <laughs> this is what happened. And so it's right. it's a fun it's a fun little podcast. Yeah, as I'm out there driving all day and I'm hearing them talk about what happened in the episode, I'm seeing it. Oh, yeah, I remember seeing that. And, and yeah. it was funny as they go into that. So they, they really do a good job. Yeah, and, they, and one of the things that's hilarious about it is how off-topic they can get. And they're just talking about just Whatever like stream-of-consciousness stuff. And, <laughs> and they have to come back and, okay, where were we on, on this episode? And, we don't ever do that. Heck no. <laughs> he edits all that stuff. <laughs> I should have saved the introduction bloopers. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> Joyce tried several times to get this show started. What's sad is it? <laughs> I won't even go there. <laughs> I don't want that on air either. <laughs> All right. So anyway, there's some recommendations for you. Just things to think about. What? How do we really approach the culture? It, it must be with the word of God, and it must be with the gospel yes. and with a full-orbed world and life view informed by the law word of God. All of that is yes, yes, and amen. That has to be. Yeah, but I just think on on some fundamental level that we we really hurt ourselves if we miss it is uh, we need to be people who are loving and uh, and bearing those sorts of fruits of the spirit. And loving doesn't mean that oh you're just perfect the way no, you right. are and I love you and because I'm afraid that's what a lot of the church at sure. large would say right. and that's that's not love. You can't see somebody. Right. Biblical in, love is not soft and gushy, and and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm really talking more about long-suffering and mm-hmm. the willingness to Patience stick with Patience and endurance and, and perseverance yeah. and, yeah. Yeah. 
the willingness to stick with people, I think, is a really big deal. To love them in spite of faults, even mm-hmm. while you're, you're duty-bound to point some of those things out. Yeah. It's a big deal. All right. You got anything else, Mama? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be done. <laughs> do you want to close this out? Or you... <laughs> uh, you know, I think I'll let you do it. <laughs> Okay, thanks for joining us on the Worldview Media Podcast. It's our it's our desire to simply remind ourselves and and be good listeners as we're confronted with media and the false gospel claims that come out in just about every bit of media mm-hmm. and how we're going to recognize those. But it's it's not just to point a scowling finger at bad worldviews. You know, it's to it's to learn. How do we tell stories? And, and and as we Christians get into the business of creating media content, what is what should that look like? Do we have to sew little crosses on everything we do in order to glorify Christ? And I'm convinced we don't. No. We, uh, we glorify Christ by doing a good job at what we're doing and, and presenting a biblical worldview. So that's what we're about, and uh, hopefully some of these recommendations, if you can make it past the warnings and all that, and, uh, <laughs> you, you might get something out of them. So God bless you, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the Worldview Media Podcast. Please visit reconstructionistradio.com to check out the other podcasts in our network and to download our free audiobooks. <laughs>